Lord, we come before you in prayer today. And Lord, we just simply offer thanks that we can gather as a body of believers for the purpose of, of knowing you more. And God, we just ask that, that you would guide, direct, and bless our time together. All of this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Guys, I want to tell you that I'm so, so grateful that you're here today. Um, really to each and every one of you, and not, not for me, just it, it, it excites and warms my heart to know that the gospel is being shared. And that we are indeed here for the purpose of knowing God more. Uh, this morning is going to be part two of the, the Gospel of John. And again, guys, we're going to be here for a hot minute. So if you miss anything, we do have a podcast that goes up. I try to get it up as soon as I can, but at the, at the very latest, it will be up every Sunday with the week's previous uh, sermon. So if you miss, miss a week, check out the podcast. Um, we're going to be here for a while in the Gospel of John. This is part two. And today we're going we're gonna to meet somebody new. And his name is, get this, wait for it. Keep waiting. His name is John. <laughs> Not the John that wrote this book, a different John. Uh, this John is the one who is commonly referred to as John the Baptist. And even if you're new to church or new to scripture, it is highly unlikely that you've never heard of John the Baptist. We're going to read it real quick. If you want to turn in your Bibles, we're, we're going to be in John uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. We'll be focusing on verses 6 through 9 today, but for full context, we're going to read through uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. And they read like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, the true light, that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So let's lean into that a little bit. Brad, you really did do great about not needing water while you were talking. Here's what we're going to focus in on today. There's three things that stood out to me, and I'm going to share them with you. One is the significance of John the Baptist having been sent by God. Sent by God. Two, uh, what it means to witness. And three, the onset of hope. There was a man sent by God whose name was John. Let's just jump in right there. There is a significance in this, in this first statement that might, might be hiding in plain sight if you're unfamiliar with this, with this period in history. And in order to better understand the significance, we need to familiarize ourselves just a bit with this period in history, or, or to be more precise, this period in history just before this period in history. So, if, if you know, and if you don't, now you will, uh, the last recorded piece of writing in the Old Testament is the book of Malachi, who was a prophet. And the purpose of Malachi's prophecy was to give his people a revealing look at themselves. 
He wanted them to realize that they had, had become complacent and demanding with God and had disregarded their own responsibilities for worship. Malachi wanted to remind his people of their end of the bargain, so to speak, which was just to worship and obey. If you are, uh, if you are at all familiar with, with our track record of receptiveness, obedience, and, and gratitude, um, then you know that since uh, roughly the Garden of Eden uh, that we, we have a fairly predictable pattern. For a time, we receive God's good direction. We obey God's good direction, and we're grateful for God's good direction until we aren't. And that's the primer for what sets up this period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's this period of roughly 400 years that can be best described as like radio silence. That's how I would, I would understand it. Time didn't stop. Life on earth carried on. Kings and queens and peasants lived and died just the same as they had for always, for 400 years. In my preparation for, for this message, I read an interesting and an insightful article about this time period by a writer named uh, Lori Roloveld. And this is some of what she had to say about those 400 years. Ecclesiastes 3.7 says that there is a time to keep silence and a time to speak. So we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised then that God entered a period of silence. God created both sound and silence, and, and he knows the perfect timing for both of them. Now, we refer to this period, these 400 years of silence, as, a, as the intertestamental period. That's kind of a seminary word. I guess I didn't need to throw it in there. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, this is the intertestamental period, these 400 years. And depending on your experience uh, with silence... This can sound ominous. 400 years, guys? I can't go four minutes. And it inevitably, inevitably leads to, to other questions. Was God angry? And, and was he giving humans the, the silent treatment? Uh, uh, was God allowing for a beat before the entry of his son, like a dramatic pause and a great concerto? You know, God, God doesn't really explain himself on this point. So much of what we know, or by what we think we understand about this 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 time frame, well, it's really, they're really just educated guesses based on knowing the character of God and how he works. Well, what can we observe? What can we know like for certain? What we do know is this. We know that Malachi was the last of the Old Testament prophets. In his book, God tells a familiar story to his people. He, he loved them and desired a relationship with them, and that required their obedience. That was it. And they refused to obey, and they demonstrated irreverence by abusing the temple and offering him less than their, than their best. And, he, and even more than this, when God pointed out Israel's sin, they argued back with him. They argued that he, God, was unjust. And throughout the Old Testament, God and his people had an ongoing dialogue. God told the Israelites exactly what they needed to, to, to do to please him and to maintain right relationship with him. And, and the Israelites obeyed for a time. But eventually, they would start following false gods and, and committing other acts of disobedience. And God would then send them hard times so that they would repent for their disobedience 
and returned to him. And the cycle continues. They obeyed for a time, but the cycle would repeat itself. God's relationship with the Israelites had reached a point familiar to anyone. I love that when you really look at the word, when you read it and you absorb it for your own, I love how much I can relate to it on a personal level. God's relationship with the Israelites had reached a point familiar to anyone who has loved someone insisting on their own way. Whether our loved one is in the throes of addiction or rebelliously running from God or trapped in a a stronghold of some compelling sin, there comes a time when when our words seem to lose their grip and they just bounce off and we're throwing them and they're just not sticking. And when the dialogue is no longer productive, when it feels we're wasting our words, usually that's a time to be silent, to fall back, to establish a healthy boundary and allow our loved one to experience the consequence of that sin. We continue to pray, we continue to love, and we continue to hope. And we're available the moment our loved one turns back. But we know we've reached that time when our words have ceased to have an effect. Perhaps this is the point that God has reached with Israel. Perhaps. But again, this is only based on what we can, we can observe. What we know for a fact is that God was indeed silent for 400 years. And, and he spoke again, when he spoke again, pardon me, It was to prepare the way for his son who would be his word made flesh. God doesn't explain his silence, but the Old Testament prophecies were fully spoken with Malachi's final words. What was to follow was their fulfillment. And that brings us, thank you guys, by the way, I know that was the boring part. That brings us to where we are in the gospel of John right here. So for 400 years, there is no prophetic communication between God and his people. Then seemingly out of nowhere, an angel of the Lord appears to like a handful of people, two couples. And these two couples, Mary and Joseph, Zechariah and Elizabeth, are now part of this plan of fulfillment. Mary will become the mother of Jesus. Elizabeth will become the mother of John the Baptist. And there's this scene in the Gospel of Luke chapter 1 that foreshadows our scripture here in the Gospel of John. And it reads like this. Uh, If you want to turn in your Bibles, if you're following me along today, uh, this is Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 41. In those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting... The baby leapt inside her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So, the significance of those few words, there was a man sent from God, they are of immeasurable magnitude. If you're new to all of this, and if you're not well-versed in Scripture, you might read this passage and think like, well, what stands out? It's on par with what it should be. This is a collection of writings about God. What's, what's special about this passage? 
Well, it wasn't just some guy that God like tapped on the shoulder one day. This, this is a man who was sent before he even drew breath. This is a man who leapt for joy in the womb at the arrival of his and our Lord and Savior. This is a man who would come to know what it, what it means to be a witness to the light. Verses seven and eight in John chapter one read like this. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through them, through him, pardon me, all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Now, it's, uh, it's probably a safe assumption that anyone in here, any one of us, can define the word witness. What is a witness? As a person who has like, personal knowledge or first-hand knowledge of, some, uh, of something that occurred, somebody who had, who had uh, eyes on the scene, an observer, an onlooker, a spectator. Pretty simple understanding, right? Uh, easily defined. But what does a witness do? What does a witness do? A witness testifies, right? Not always. They tell of what they see, but not always. Just because one might be a witness doesn't mean that that one might testify. Sometimes a witness may have firsthand account of something very important, some, some life-changing information, but they, they may keep quiet for fear that they may upset the powers that be. Whether that power is a politician or a religious leader or a criminal, sometimes those three might be the same one person. To witness in the face of certain persecution requires a boldness that not many know. Sometime back, I mentioned uh, a sort of expanded understanding of grace, just the word grace. I know I mentioned it a dozen or more times up here. And I knew that I, I had always understood what grace is. I think, and I think most of, most of us have like a, a canned answer that we have holstered, like, we're ready with that definition. What's grace? Grace is God's love toward those who have merited the opposite of God's love. But recently, and that's correct, by the way, but recently, a few months back, a good friend of mine, who I didn't think was going to be here this morning, we recently, uh, we were having a conversation a few months back, and, and he and I were talking, and he said that definition that we, that we use is, is accurate, but it's, it's an oversimplification, Grace is any and everything that we are empowered to do by the Holy Spirit working in us. I'm going to repeat that one. Grace is any and everything that we do when we are empowered to do it by the Holy Spirit. And I guess I had subconsciously placed grace alongside like forgiveness, like I had made them synonyms. If, we, if, like, if somebody at work does something wrong, if they, if they screw up a job or something like that, what do we say? Give them a little grace. No harm, no foul. Give them a little grace. We just use it like it's just this simple term. Give them a little grace. A good friend of mine has a term for people who are constantly in need of said grace. Uh, he calls them EGRs, and that means extra grace required. Um, I'm probably an EGR. <laughs> in any case, 
The grace of God is not limited to our limited understanding. Rather, it's any and everything that we are empowered to do by the Holy Spirit working in us, including our ability to witness. So once more, verses 7 and 8 read like this. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. And he witnessed boldly. And he testified boldly, almost as if he was doing so on a power that was not his own. Just one more time, let's go back again. Let's take another look at Luke 1, verses 39 through 41. In those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt inside her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now remember, Elizabeth is John's mother. She is the mother of John the Baptist. We have many mothers in the room today, yeah? So I'm going I'm to use this for an illustration. We know that to a great extent, whatever happens to an expectant mother happens to that child. If the mother eats, the baby eats. If the mother sleeps... The baby sleeps, and as soon as I wrote that down, I realized that that was not accurate. <laughs> because when Kara slept, Arlo did jumping jacks. In any case, the mother has to take care when, when making decisions of all manner because the life inside her is tethered to the choices she makes. That being said, when John was still in the womb... Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So when we read that he came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe, he's not just giving some cursory telling of, of things to come. He's, he's witnessing boldly. He's testifying boldly by the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God, by the power of the same God that called life into existence, by the power that, is, that filled his mother before he drew his first breath. By that power, he came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. And that testimony that he offered, it was offensive. And it stirred discontent with the politicians and the religious leaders. I'm going to break away for a second here. The gospel should be offensive. It's offensive to me today because it tells me that I'm not the boss. And it tells me that there's a better way. And that my way is the way of sin and that God's way is the way of love. If the gospel doesn't offend you, then right on. Good for you. You're perfect. What are you doing here? <laughs> now, I can't say that John didn't care that his testimony was offensive. But what I can say, what we can say, is that John didn't stop. He couldn't. Verse Verse 9 says that the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. What a message of hope that was. It was the onset of hope for many. Remember, it had been 400 years that the Israelites were, they're just, they were just kind of going through their, their norms. Like, you know, this is cultural practice, I guess. You know, mom, dad, why do we do this? Because my mom and dad did it. Because their mom and dad did it. Because their mom and dad did it. 400 years. 
So the, the message, the testimony that John the Baptist brought about the coming Messiah, that was the onset of hope for many. Now, positionally on the timeline, we have the viewpoint of looking back, right? We're looking back. And that's good. It's, it's great. We get to read the word and, and look at what God has done, what Jesus has done. But my fear is this, is that that's all we think. We think that it's just been done. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm using the word done as in past tense. My fear is that when we read this, that's just what we think. That everything's just been done. We're looking, the, looking at this as if we're the fortunate recipients of a great inheritance. Man, I'm so glad that my grandfather's grandfather's grandfather worked really hard for what I have today. And there again, the, that understanding is limited, oversimplified, and inaccurate. If you're reading scripture and, and only seeing what has been done, remember the, the light, this, this hope, doesn't live only in what has been done. It doesn't know time. It's not bound by the limitations of our understanding. It's hope without borders, without boundaries. If I'm, if I'm reading this book and I'm leaving the work of the Spirit in the bindings of this book, man, that's hopeless. I don't know of another word to use to describe it. It's hopeless. If you're here today and you plan on leaving here today unaffected by the power and the work of the Spirit of the living God, then what are you doing here? I'm not trying to be crass. Just what are you doing here? I, I'm not asking you to leave. You're always welcome here, but really you should be asking yourself if, if that's you who I'm talking about and it has been me. What are you doing here? There's better ways to waste your time. Stay at home. Watch Hallmark movies because you'll find more usefulness in the hope that those movies provide than you'll find in the hope that you leave in the Bible. Guys, we serve the living God, not the God who once was or some antiquated relic. We have inside of us the spirit of the living God. In this book, this library of writings, it, it, it also is not just some collective artifact of, of histories and stories. The Word of God is thousands of years old, fresh every day, and always right on time. Now those three things that I mentioned, the significance of John the Baptist having been sent by God, what it means to witness and the onset of hope. Those don't just live in here, in this faux leather CSB engraved study Bible. They don't live in there. Those things live in me, and they live in you, and they live now. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. And so have you and I been sent. Jesus said this. He said, go therefore 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Guys, friends, brothers, sisters, whatever I have to say to you to open your ears and your hearts, listen, hear me out. We have been sent by God. We have been called to witness. We have been charged to testify to the onset of hope, the hope that we have in Jesus. Look, I don't have an assignment or something to tell you this week, like when we leave here. Let's just do what Jesus said to do. And one more time, Jesus said this. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. I feel like sometimes I mention too frequently, (laughs) I mention too frequently my conversations with Jay or with Jeremy or, or with Brad, but I'm frustrated. And the frustration is with myself. I should really preempt this by saying that anything that I say to you guys has either been said to me or I say to myself in the mirror. But I'm just frustrated that, that like my understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit, man, it's just right here. And this is great. It's a tool given to us, breathed from the mouth of God. But if it stays right here, it's nothing. Really, it's, it's like an insulting nothing because we have, we have the information. You know what I mean? I've been going through it with my boy recently because he's a smart kid, sharp as a tack, hates schoolwork. You know what? I don't even know if he hates it, but he doesn't do it. <laughs> and it's so frustrating because he's read the book He has the information up here and all he has to do is just put it into action so that I can stop sacrificing my evenings when he has to play catch up. And guys, I I, I just, man, you know it's true. I don't know if I'm talking to you today, but maybe I'm talking to your neighbor. Everybody look left and right, see if somebody looks guilty. Man, don't leave the work of God. Don't leave the work of Jesus. Don't leave the work of the Holy Spirit in your Bible, in your car, or just at church on Sundays. Take it home with you. Take it out in the morning. Leave it out. Live on it. Pray on it. Meditate on it. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. We have the assignment. We have an example set before us of somebody who had been filled with the Holy Spirit and testified boldly, witnessed boldly, and didn't care who it upset. Guys, if you share the gospel in this day and age, I'm telling you, you're going to upset people. Good. We have that charge to carry everything that has been given to us and to just pour it into those who need it. We have been sent. We are meant to witness, and we can attest to the onset.